My name is Joya. Uh, I think most of you know me. I'm a secondary teacher, secondary school teacher <laughs> at a local secondary school. And I teach chemistry uh, and I love it. I really do love it. And I've been at St. Saviour's for this is my 11th year. 11 years. And I've been a teacher for this is my 8th year. This is a long time. Now a bit of background on me is that I'm pretty restless. I get itchy feet all the time, not because I've got like dirty feet but I just I'm like longing to what's the next thing what's the next adventure and Nadine probably knows that more than anybody um that I'm always like what's the next thing we can do or go and see and um I uh, when I moved to Sunbury I realized that the longest thing that I'd really committed to was being at school when I was at school even university wasn't as long as being at school and then you know now that I'm I've been here and it's almost 11 years I can't believe I've committed to that and it hasn't been a straightforward oh yeah I've just I'm gonna stay every year probably sometimes every six months I question whether or not I should still be here and um I'm still on that journey of, you know, by now, I figured at 33, I should have probably figured out this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And yet still, I'm like, what do I want to be when I grow up? <laughs> and, um, I don't know if any of you have been in the same situation or in the same situation of constantly thinking, what's the next? What am I doing? What am I doing with this one life? And so when Claire said, um, could you preach on this day? I'm like, yeah, that's probably fine. Um, what's the topic? She's like, whatever you like, whatever you feel God's saying to you. And I'm like, what is God saying to me? If he could get a word in edgeways in my head, what is he saying to me? And um, my, it's probably from the summer of last year. He's consistently been saying one thing when I've asked him about 200 million different questions. Come and hang out with me. Make a bit of time for me. And it reminded me of um, when I was really little. For four years, I didn't have a baby brother, and so everyone wanted to be around me. It was great in my family. I'd go there and I'd get all the treats and everything until he came along. So for four years, I remember my granddad watching me run around and playing and doing all the kinds of things that I probably did, and I was probably even more restless than I am now. And my granddad always used to speak really quietly to me, and he'd just be like, come here. Am I in trouble? Have I done, like, it was always, am I in trouble? I'm normally in trouble. And he'd say, just come and sit with me. And I'd be like, oh my goodness, I've just got to sit. This is boring. And um, obviously I'm not saying that God is like my granddad, but what I'm saying is that I feel like God has been whispering to me for a long time now, when I have been asking him lots of things, come and hang out with me. Come and sit with me. And I'll come back to that in a bit. As I've been wrestling with the whole, what am I going to do with my one life? What is there? What am I still going to do when you know when I grow up? And um, my tutor group are in year nine at the moment, and they are taking their options. They're deciding on what they're going to do. So I've like really got into this whole decision making thing with them, and um, they've got to decide on their GCSE options that then sort of determine what they then do for A level, and then maybe even what they do at university if they even go to university. I've been having lots of conversations with them and some of them are like really set on the end goal and so our conversations are about okay well if you want to get there what are the things that you've got to do now in order to get you there and some of them are like I have no idea and one boy bless him he just freaked out by the whole process he's like I don't know what I want to do with my whole life I don't even know who I am like 14 let's just focus on being 14 but it does throw up those questions isn't it of who am I 
what am I like? What do I like doing? And what do I want to do? What impact do I want to leave on the world? And so they've been thinking about this, what do they do with their life? And I've been thinking about what do I do with my one life? And who do I want to be? Who am I being at the moment? Because what I want to do is not just about my job. And what I want to do in life is wrapped up in who I am. And who I am should be knotted and woven into who God is and what he says about me and what he calls me to. And he continues to refine that in me. And that's probably why I question it every six months or every year. If who are you calling me? Who are you refining me to be? And how does that affect what I do? So I want to unpack that tonight, about how we can know who we are and be continually refined by spending time with God and then see the impact in what we do, rather than just looking at what we do and working backwards. So I'm going to start by telling you a little story about some wooden people. There are some wooden people called the Wemmicks. And they lived in what I always call Wemmickville, but it's Wemmick Village, very different to Wemmickville. And um, these little wooden people um, are carved by a carpenter. And they spend their days trying to be good at stuff. And they carry around with them some gold stars and some grey dots. And then they go about their business and they try and be really good at stuff. And if they see someone being really good, they'll give them a gold star. And, you know, they try jumping really high and they try running really fast and doing other things that wooden people do. And, (laughs) sorry. (laughs) And, um, And they're rewarding each other gold stars. But, you know, for everyone that's really good at something, there's got to be that person that came second, right? Or didn't do very well or couldn't jump that high. And they get grey dots. And they spend their days going up to people and awarding stuff and they're desperate to have those gold stars and trying really hard at everything and they're desperate to not be the ones stuck with grey dots and they want their gold stars to cover up their grey dots and um you know what there's a little guy called Punchinello and Punchinello he's he tries hard at everything he tries hard to run fast he tries hard to be good at singing he tries hard at being good at running and jumping and skipping and he is just not good at anything he's just not making the cut and so he gets awarded grey dots all the time and sometimes because these Wemmick people they're a little bit cruel they see that he's got so many grey dots that they think you know what probably deserves more grey dots for getting grey dots and there's just no let up for him day in day out and he ends up just going to hang out with the other kids, that, the other wooden people, that have got grey dots on them, just so that he can not feel so rubbish about himself. And he's walking through Wemmick village, and, and he sees this girl come through, this other wooden little girl. And she's skipping through, and she's beautiful and lovely, and seems to be skipping really well, better than everyone else. And so immediately, what do the Wemmick people want to do? They want to give her a gold star. They go to give her a gold star, and it falls off. So because it fell off, they think there's something wrong with her. So they go to put a grey dot on, and the grey dot falls off. And Punchinello is mesmerised by this girl that is skipping through town. So he wants to talk to her. So he, he talks to her, and he says, I'm really curious about why the 
the gold stars and the grey dots, why don't they stick to you? I don't understand. He's like, yeah, do you know what? Everyone tries to put those on me and they don't stick. And she's like, well, but why? What have you, have you got special wood or something? What is it? She said, well, I go and see Eli every day. And was like, I don't even know, who, who's Eli? She's like, Eli? You know Eli? Eli's your carpenter. Eli made you. He lives up the top of the hill. You should go and see Eli. I don't, and before he could finish saying, I don't think he'd want to see me, she skips off. So he's left with his thoughts and he thinks, gee, well, all right, I'm going to go see Eli. going to see the carpenter. So he makes his way up to the hill. And um, he walks up the narrow road to the top of the hill, steps into the big woodcarver's shop, and his little wooden eyes widened at the size of everything. The stall was as tall as he was, and he had to stretch out on his tippy toes to see the top of the workbench. The hammer was as long as his arm, and Punchinello swallowed hard and thought to himself, I'm not staying here. He turned to leave, and then he heard his name. Punchinello, said, his vo- said the voice, so deep and strong. And then Punchinello stopped, and the voice said, Punchinello, how, how good it is of you to come. Let me have a look at you. Punchinello t- slowly turned around and looked at the large bearded craftsman and said, You know my name? Of course I do. I made you. And all of a sudden, Eli stooped down and picked Punchinello up and set him on the workbench. Hmm. And he looked at all his grey dots. Looks like you've been given some bad marks. Oh, Eli, I didn't really mean to. Really, I didn't. I really tried hard not to get them. The maker, the maker said, Oh, you don't have to defend yourself to me. I don't care what the other Wemmicks think. You don't care? No, and you shouldn't either. Who are they to give you stars or dots? They're Wemmicks, just like you. What they think really doesn't matter that much at all. He said, but... I don't understand how I can be of any value to you. My paint's peeling, my wood's chipped, I've got all these marks all over me. How could I matter to you? Eli looked at Punchinello and put his hands on those little wooden shoulders of his and spoke very slowly. Because, Punchinello, I made you, you are mine, and that's why you matter to me. Punchinello had never had anyone look at him like this before. Punchinello, every day I've been waiting and hoping that you would come and see me, Eli explained. Punchinello looked up at him and said, I came because I met that, you know, Lucia. She had no marks. I know, she told me about you. Why don't the stickers stay on her? Because she has decided that what I think is more important than what anyone else thinks. The stickers only stick if you let them. Only if they matter to you will they stick. The more you trust my love the less you will care about those stickers. I'm not sure I really understand. You will, but it's going to take some time. You've got a lot of marks. So for now, just come and see me every day and let me remind you how much I care about you. He like lifted Punchinello off the bench and set him down on the floor. <clears throat> you are special because I made you and I don't make mistakes. Punchinello didn't stop, but in his heart he thought, I think he really means it. And every time he remembered what Eli had said to him, a sticker fell off. 
told you I'd tell that story. I long to be like Lucia, the girl who has no dots and no stars on her. Because I want to hear God's voice above everyone else's about who I am. And I think we can be a lot like those little wooden people, trying really hard to be good, trying to be a good Christian, to be better, to go to church more often. But we can exhaust ourselves without even spending time with Jesus, completely missing the point. The psalmist in Psalm 84 says, How lovely is your dwelling place. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. But when was the last time we just sat and dwelt with God? Just sat and took in his love. It's so much easier to feel like we haven't done enough. We haven't done enough work or been a good enough friend or a good enough teacher, or a good enough daughter, or spouse, or leader, or son, or prayer, or worshipper, and you can insert whatever fits you. It's just leading us to feel not enough. I've seen far too many of my students decide at a really young age that they are not good. Like, literally think that they are not good people. Or that they are rubbish at a subject, and that is it. And that will either lead to them just deciding that it's easier not to try and just to give up. Because they're never going to amount to anything anyway. And we can be the same. It's better to just give up or try really hard in our own strength and exhaust ourselves to be better and be better at being good. And in themselves, trying to be the best version of yourself, there's nothing wrong with pursuing that. There's nothing wrong with trying that. But to do it in our own strength is so exhausting. My brother and I were in the car the other day and we were stuck in heavy traffic coming back from the airport. So, I don't know about you, but this is what I do if I'm stuck in heavy traffic with my brother. We sing really loudly for a long time to rap music. And I discovered that I don't know any of the words, but he knows all of them. And I never saw it going that way. And then, you know, a few power ballads are thrown in there as well. And then once you've exhausted that, you then talk about the really meaty stuff in life. What have I missed on Netflix? (laughs) And then when you've exhausted that, we start to wander into the territory of God. And we talk about the times where we have seen God profoundly impact us by his presence, whether it be on a journey somewhere or a conference somewhere, but those really big moments, maybe through a really difficult situation, and we've seen God really profoundly impact us. But we also thought, actually, sometimes when we've just turned up to church, we've just chosen to listen to worship music instead of something else. We've just chosen to read our Bible even when it didn't make sense. We've just managed to look at the daily Bible verse and that is it. But when we have just done whatever it is, but we've chosen to fix our eyes on God or to be in his presence or chosen something that speaks some of that into our lives, even that has had a profound effect on us. Because we probably went as far as saying, you couldn't be ever in God's presence and not be affected by it in some way, whether it's that day or whether it's later in that week. Because being in his presence impacts us. Recently I've uh, been naturally pondering on a few situations and relationships and how I'd handled some things. 
And I thought about who I was being and who I was coming across as and who I wanted to be and the gap between the two of those things. And on the surface, I'm sure that people would tell me that it looked like I was on top of situations, that I'd been open and honest. And yet God was whispering to me about not being reluctant to show vulnerability, especially in close relationships. And at times I had felt worried that I would be unable to speak truth and love So I had just decided it was better to not say anything. But when I listened to God's prompting and whisper, I actually found that he gave me the wisdom to speak in truth in love, and he actually seemed to prepare the ground that it fell on. And from spending time with God, whether it's been long journeys, whether it's been listening to worship music, spending time with friends where we chew the fat about this stuff, praying, worshipping at church, or just in that stillness before I go to bed or try to sleep... (laughs) He had started to affect my thinking and my perspective on things. And sometimes we can ask God consciously for specific help with specific things. But sometimes just spending time with him naturally causes us to look at our lives and reflect on our actions. The Holy Spirit speaks to us and convicts and gently whispers in a way that we get that is personal to us. I know that because I've been taught that, the Bible says that, but also I've experienced that myself, that the Holy Spirit comes and convicts us. Guilt, and I feel like it's important to say, guilt is not from God, but conviction with action is from God. Not only does spending time in God's presence help us in our situations, but it recenters us. In a culture that encourages us to work harder, take less breaks and be available for work all of the time is to be exhausted from church and God's stuff. And yet you might have just made it through Christmas, been to every service, ridden the donkey, drank mulled wine, been at church at midnight on Christmas Eve and somehow have made it to Pancake Day and not have spent a moment dwelling at the feet of Jesus. Years ago, when I came back um, to church and came back to God, a friend of mine bought me um, a bracelet, and it said on the bracelet, WWJD. Did anyone ever have one of those bracelets? Or is it just me? I was too cool for school. Did you have one? And um, the WWJD stands for What Would Jesus Do? And I wore it with pride. I love this bracelet. And um, I obviously knew it was a prompt to kind of think through my actions and think, be more kind, be more loving, be more Jesus-like. But I confess, I also loved spotting them at uni and, you know, like sitting across in the lecture theatre and going, oh, there's another one over there. No, there's another Christian over there. Like, I'll go make friends. And that was the start of a lot of conversations. Um, just because I spotted a Christian wristband, which obviously means that you're definitely a Christian and everything's fine. Um, and yet, one of my favourite bits of the Bible is where Jesus is recorded to have said... People will know that you belong to me because of the way you love one another. Not because of the bracelet you're wearing, not because of the fish sticker on your car, not because of the number of times you went to church, but because of the way you love one another. Now, before you start feeling guilty about all those people that you struggle to love, Jesus also told us to love God with all our hearts, mind, strength, and to love our neighbours as we love ourselves. So to be able to love ourselves we need to recognise how much God loves us. Recognising who we are in light of who he is. Everything starts with God. 
and his attitude and love towards us. The Bible talks of the blind being able to just know that Jesus was near, even though they couldn't see him. That demons knew who he was and fled. That Moses' face shone so bright after God had passed by that he had to cover it because he glowed so brightly. When the gardener spoke to Mary, she immediately recognised Jesus' voice. When Peter was with him, he believed that he could walk on water as well, just because Jesus had said so. When you hung out with Jesus at weddings, water got turned into wine. Over 5,000 people got fed on two loaves and five fish. And when he walked with people on the road to Emmaus, the people walking with him knew in their core, their hearts were burning within them, that they had been with him, even though they didn't recognise his face. His presence even got tax collectors to realise their errors and repent. I want our tax collectors to know Jesus. He had an impact. Some people were threatened by Jesus and misunderstood who he was, but ultimately even death was beaten and had to submit to God. God had an impact and an effect. But I wonder what that looks like, and I often wonder, what does that really look like in my life? In the Bible, it also says we should work out our salvation with fear and trembling. It doesn't mean work for our salvation, but to work it out. I wonder if it means to work out what it means to be unconditionally loved and forgiven, to have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. Because I wonder what life would look like if I took hold of what Jesus said about me more. Because I love what it looks like when I see it in other people and when I've seen it in myself, when we've taken hold of that and really believed it. Because it's in those moments and in those times and in those seasons where you see community being built, when we see confidence grow, when people who have felt trapped see release, where we see healings and miracles. We see ideas flourish and they go from being ideas to being football on a Saturday. Where we see dreams coming true. We see creativity, growth, faith and hope rising in a place where there shouldn't be any hope. Jesus brings us into God's presence without any hoops to jump through. Punchinello didn't have to do anything to be loved and known by the carpenter. But he did need reminding of who he was every day for it to have an impact. Whilst God loves us just the way we are, he longs for us to be fully who he made us to be. And he is working on us if we would let him. Saf, could you come up and read, please? Uh, so it's Psalm 119, verses 9 to uh, 16. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart uh, that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decree. With my lips I recount to you all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes and as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate, uh, I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Thank you. This is a great 
psalm. It's a really, really long psalm as well. But in those verses, the psalmist knows that a pure heart is not something that you can achieve just by working hard on your own. He knows that you can't just rely on trying really hard, but he also recognises that who he is is wrapped up in who God is and what God says. In fact, every verse is recognising that having a pure heart is directly linked to proximity with God and his words. Seeking God with his whole heart, because seeking God is transforming. Asking for help to not stray from all that God wants for him, recognising that it is possible to stray, but only God can help. Meditating and really soaking in God's words and letting truth soak in and let it letting it be hidden in our hearts so often have I let rubbish be hidden in my heart and I have had prayer and loving people have to take that out and so I can replace it with what should really be hidden in my heart we concentrate when we concentrate and focus on God's words he can help them sink into our hearts One of the things that I've noticed in this psalm is that there isn't anything that is a quick fix, though, or anything that happens overnight, but a series of choices over time to enable us to let us know what God says about us to be the most important thing that we hear. When my students are choosing their options, they have the right focus on the wider, bigger future, what they're going to do eventually, what the end goal is for them. But the thing is, once they've made those choices, if they don't do the right next thing, if they don't make a good choice every day, the rest of the time they're at school, that end goal won't matter to them. They won't get there. When we have made a choice to set our course on God and to fix our eyes on him, we've got a daily daily choice to make to ask God into each day because every day has a heavenly impact every moment we choose to practice the presence of God and I know Claire talked about practicing the presence of God and that's not just weird mindfulness that is actually recognising that the creator of the world loves you, made you and is dwelling with you and is going to be your strength for that day but when we can do that we can really say better is one day in God's presence than thousands elsewhere. So for, for us, what's the right next thing? What's the next choice to make? What's the choice tomorrow or tonight to practice the presence of God? I've talked about knowing who we are in God and being in his presence, but what does that look like? Do we just decide to be more faithful? I, will, I love it when my students say, okay, right, I'm really sorry, miss, I'm sorry, I, you know, I swore at you, or whatever it was. But, and I'm like, oh, what's going to be different next lesson? They're like, I'll be better. I'm like, how are you going to do that? What things are you, I'm, I'm looking for, you know, I'm going to avoid being distracted by so-and-so, or, you know, I'm, I'm not going to, like, doodle in my planner or whatever it is. And they're like, oh, you're just going to be better. I'm just going to be better. I'm like, okay, right, but what does it look like? Are you just going to try really hard? Because I thought you were trying. Punchinello, he went up a hill and hung out with the carpenter. But that's not going to look like that for us. So this is where the rubber hits the road. Because spending time in God's presence needs to look like something. And the ideas of what that 
should look like are not confined to a list. Ages ago, we did a, a series on spiritual pathways, and there was a lot of stuff in there, a lot of meat in there of, of our different personalities and how we connect with God in the different ways. And, and we could all probably share ways that we connect with God, and they'll all be different, and that's okay. But we've got to find something that, that fits us. But I can't give an exhaustive list of what that is. But it's the choice to focus our mind on God. And nothing is wasted. My, one of my lovely friends said to me, tell them that nothing is wasted. Nothing you do is wasted. If you think that just looking at that daily Bible verse is not enough, then, then strive to want to read more. But believe that nothing is wasted. That that will speak to you. And God will let that sink into your heart. This isn't about feeling guilty. Last year I read a book called The Furious Longing of God by a guy called Brennan Manning and he also wrote another book called The Ragamuffins Gospel and probably these two books stand out to me as um, being the two main books that have pointed me to Jesus that when I read them my heart is so full and I just want to know more of who God is and so if you haven't read it go and read The Furious Longing of God it's just a series of stories um, and yeah exactly that the furious longing of God I don't want to spoil it for you but I'm going to spoil it a little bit because I'm telling you a bit about the story now and um, so Manning believes that fully grasping that reckless extravagant and jealous love and the loving God that, um, and understanding that is how lives are changed so he believes if you could really grasp how God loves us and we will spend our lives trying to grasp that but if we can really start to pursue God, then lives are changed. And we've seen that. We're, in fact, I know most of you, you're all testimony to, to that. And I've heard some of your stories and it's a real privilege to have walked in this church with you guys and, and seen that. So I know that. He tells a story of meeting a nun who was struggling to heal from sexual abuse as a child at the hands of her father. And Manning talks to her at length about this and, and how she, and she comes to talk to him. And uh, he invites her to find a quiet, secluded place every morning for the next 30 days, to sit in a chair, close her eyes, and upturn her palms, and pray this one phrase over and over again. Abba, I belong to you. Abba, I belong to you. The word Abba is used in the Bible um, to mean father. And if you look at the Hebrew, um, it kind of is like calling your dad, daddy. That kind of closeness. So she prayed that. And God brought about healing into her life. And she discovered the furious longing of God for her. You belong to God. And God longs for you. Not your works, not your good deeds, although those are all good. Not your obedience to religious rules or traditions. Don't stop coming to church, that's important. But he longs for you more above all of those things, for your heart. And perhaps that's something that we should maybe think about. Maybe we could consider doing that for the next 30 days. Lent coming up, why not? Maybe even right now, we want to pray, Abba, I belong to you. Daddy, I belong to you. Because when we pursue God, 
Holiness is a byproduct. Goodness is a byproduct. Faithfulness is a byproduct. Patience is a byproduct. In fact, the fruit of the Spirit are a byproduct of pursuing God. But when we just try and be good at the fruit, we might do it, but more than likely, we'll just be really tired and exhausted and can end up feeling guilty about how bad we are at it. Pursuing God transforms us. Spending time and worshipping God recenters us. Meditating on God's word reassures us and brings wisdom. Being continually filled with God's Holy Spirit is our strength. Faith increases, hope rises. Whilst life is not about earning God's love, because we don't need to, it is about discovering the furious longing of God. How true it is, how unwavering and how secure. Because more time that we choose to be open to God, the more he transforms us. I found that just even in this last week. I've been more aware of the words that I speak, the way I react to stress, the way I see myself, and the way I see others. It doesn't feel like guilt, it's a gentle conviction. So, I thought we'd turn that psalm into a prayer and then end. Is that okay? Let's pray. God, we come to you because we want to seek you with our whole heart. We don't want to stray from your commands. And we want you to help us to hide your words about who you say we are in our hearts. Help us to not sin against you. Teach us your decrees. We want to rejoice on your statutes. Meditate on your precepts. Help us to say, Abba, I belong to you. And Father, whatever way we connect with you, Father, would you create that time for us? Would you create that space? Would you create that login to know how much you long for us? In Jesus' name. Amen.